You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Welcome to 3 a.m. 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Where we discuss and dissect the supernatural. What's the scariest thing you've encountered? That's been one of our favorite questions for years. 3 a.m. is the result of asking this question over and over again. Stories we share are typically sourced from those we know, our listeners, or personal experience. The validity of which can be determined by you, the listener. While we might not have all the answers, we find the culture and lore surrounding paranormal events and unnatural occurrences fascinating. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. We hope you enjoy. What's up, everyone? This is the 3 a.m. podcast. My name is Charlie. My name is DJ. My name is Sean. And tonight with us, we have a special guest. What's up? This is Reed. (laughs) (laughs) And Kevin. Kevin's here tonight. In the background. Anyway. For that audience laughter (laughs) and clap applause. So it's the 3 a.m. podcast where we're just a group of friends, tell scary stories, and try and be funny. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, If you remember, Reed was with us on another episode, previous episode, and he talked about Thailand, which is great. So we're happy to have him back. Yeah. Reed's one of my best friends. I grew up with him in California. And yeah, he's been a big supporter. He's he's a day oneer for sure. And he recently was like, bro, I have some more stories. I was like, oh, time to come back on. Nice. (laughs) So we're excited for those. I have a question. <laughs> Bro, tell me about the teacher you hated growing up oh. or the worst teacher you had in school. Okay, Mr. B would come in, taught geometry, and he would put his leg on your desk. Wait, wait, how old were you? Uh, what? I was ninth grade, 10th okay, grade. Okay. So just starting high school. So he would place his big, fat, meaty leg on your desk and his ball sack. What? And just what? put it on your desk. So what that looks like, I will show you. And if you're listening, log on to YouTube, look us up, and watch the watch the video. He'd come up and be like this. So he'd be like working. You're not and he'd be like, he'd put his leg like this. Oh, oh no. my gosh. Like talk to you. But why? Can I see? Yeah. That's bad. <laughs> DJ's face right now. <laughs> um, I hate that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> he once also called me the most carnal Mormon he's ever met in his life. So I was Whoa. like, okay, I don't even know what that means. So. <laughs> Damn. He was trying to hit on you, dude. Dude, hardcore. I was like, you're putting your nuts on my ta- on my desk. You're the most carnal. This is as carnal as it gets. <laughs> Sean's like, I super hated my mom. No, dude, I had, <laughs> I had no bad teachers. I love, I love you, mom. Wow, that's sweet. So you were homeschooled your entire life? Entire life. She okay. was my actual teacher for till seventh grade, and then I did an online charter school where I had teachers that were just across the country. Okay. And I did that through graduation of high school. So was it like a chat room with all the other kids? Uh, no, I would or- have the just the teacher. But then I would have to take like standardized tests. I would have to go like to the capital of Ohio at the time and take because that's where I was living at the time. So we'd go to Columbus 
and <laughs> Sorry. we would take the standardized test there to make sure we were not, you okay. know, cheating at home. Yeah. Sorry, Kevin's still laughing from the joke from <laughs> two minutes ago. <laughs> Damn. But you never got to, like, interact with the other kids who are doing the online charter school? We actually did. So, like, National Honor Society, I was in that, and we uh, had, like, a couple of events that we went to. Like sporting events? No, like like dinners mail me and the stuff football. like that. No, dude. still was the best receiver and quarterback. Dude. <laughs> Everyone hop in this super short bus. <laughs> oh, we wouldn't have to. We would just drive separately there, though. So, <laughs> just kidding. Damn, my teacher, Miss N. Um, we all know what that stands for. <laughs> fifth grade, dude. She hated everybody. And it was perfect because everybody hated her. Um, <laughs> this <laughs> had like three long hairs from her chin. Uh, nope. And once in a while, she would bring her dog to class who was just rowdy, bark the whole time. And she wouldn't say anything to like quiet it down. You've met those dog owners who like or those parents <laughs> who don't control their children, you know, <laughs> just let them do whatever and. Yeah, but she would feed it ruffles oh. in class, and she would get really excited on the days at lunch. We had uh, nachos for lunch, and almost every time we had nachos, she would come back with like a little bit of that nacho cheese on like the tips of her hairs on her chin. <laughs> so gross. Just a vile human. Oh. <laughs> so <sighs> disgusting. But I have another one. <laughs> Talk to me. So some some shenanigans went down in my uh, in my grade school, and uh, the teacher who was my teacher got promoted to principal, and so they had to hire someone halfway through the year to come take her spot. And so they hired this lady, and she walked in, and I promise I did this. Um, I promise I did this innocently, but they introduce her. Anyone have any questions? My hands up first. They choose me, and I'm like. How old are you? Because she looked 14. And she's like, uh, um, I'm old enough to teach. And seriously, like, it was downhill from there. Every day she left the classroom crying because oh, no. we were all so rowdy. Gennaro pissed under the reading table in the middle of his class. Me and Noah lined up all the desks and we ran back and forth on top of the tables. <laughs> <laughs> like, it was wild. They have. Yeah, and I'm really sorry, Mrs. Aguilar. <laughs> My bad. I don't hate you, but she hated me the most, so I flipped that question. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I don't think, like, looking back, I don't have any bad teachers, but I did. I'm not sure if you shared this experience, but I feel like I had, like, three or four teachers get pregnant in the middle of the year, and so you just were stuck with like random substitute teachers for a prolonged <laughs> period of time. And I specifically remember in eighth grade, my eighth grade science class, we had this lady, I don't even remember her name, but she smelt so bad. And it was one of those small classrooms where there was a lot of student teacher interactions. And so she would like kind of lean over you and you would just sit there and like your eyes would start watering a little bit and it was just bad. Oh, one of the, she was a little. She was very granola. It's like she like 
No offense to any of people who like don't shave their armpits. Totally get that. That's cool. You can do whatever. But she never shaved her armpits and didn't wear deodorant, and it was very noticeable. Oh. It's like you need some patchouli quick, yeah. my lady. <laughs> it was like definition Southern Oregon, that country. Yeah. Dude. But she was really nice. So it was like it's hard to make fun of her, you know? <laughs> I'm trying to think of more stories of teachers that were hated. Oh, <laughs> bro. There was a teacher who he, I think, literally thrived on being hated. Um, he was biology teacher in my high school and he, every day he would say things like, let me tell you a little sneak writ. You right. What? While touching uh. himself. <laughs> <laughs> Just getting off on it. Uh. He had like two or three more sayings where he would like intentionally say a word wrong and it was just like it was terrible. I don't know. It was just the worst experience. Kind of sounds like 3 a.m. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we all just laugh like pirates. <laughs> Another teacher I think of is my junior year English teacher. And oh, man, she had like the super high shrill voice. The kind that like, like shakes your bones. And it's just you feel cold when she speaks. I, I compare her to like Almost like Dolores Umbridge. Ugh. She was so bad. But um, she would constantly like, almost like verbally abuse us. Um, if only like, like her methods were like abusive <laughs> verbally, but they didn't quite hit. <laughs> like she could have been meaner. I don't know. Like she would, one of the things I remember is she told us, she was like, all of you are spineless sea urchins, and that's like the worst thing I could think of on planet Earth. And that's what all of you are. Like, just tell us things like, like that's not like that didn't really hurt me, but it's like she was trying to. She hurt was you. trying to. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it was high school when I went to high school, or the high school I went to it was a private school. I went to be clean shaven, so there was a couple times where people had like some stub, um, and. <laughs> <laughs> How did you, one teacher teach with those chin hairs then? No, that was elementary oh. school. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she would make that person shave in class and she would keep like those big razors, you know, the pack no. of 10 for like two bucks and do it dry oh. in front of her. That sounds like BYU, dude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's legit like Dolores Umbridge with like the pen oh, that like yeah. scratches into their skin. I think it's funny that in Hawaii, like, the insult that she thought of was like a C object. It's like, you bro, know? it's like why? classic. Yeah. <laughs> Branch out, dog. <laughs> Come on. She's like, you're like a flavorless pineapple. <laughs> it's like, you are cliche, Mrs. M. <laughs> oh, good looks, though. Good catch. Um,. Okay, I know there's like a lot of bad teachers, but honestly, to be a teacher is like a hard job. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with a bunch of little assholes all day. So big up all the good teachers out there because I did have a lot of good teachers who like saved my life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I don't want to crap on teachers. <laughs> Too bad. There's some straight terrible teachers, but there's some good teachers. True. Very true. All right. We good to go? <laughs> This might be a quick episode, but let's do it. All right, putos, time to roll. (laughs) This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. I have benefited from therapy in a way that it's allowed me to feel a lot more light, lightness in my heart, my head, my emotions. If that's something that you are needing, if that's something that's missing, uh, give therapy a try. Give BetterHelp a try. Uh, we want to hook you up um, by getting it off your chest. Uh, and it be a little lighter on the wallet. Uh, go ahead and visit betterhelp.com slash 3am and you can get 10% off your first month. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 3am. 24 hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks's lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. That's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. Twenty. Two. Eighteen. Twelve. So the order is Charles, Reed, Sean, me. Cool. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay. Couple quick updates. I looked up the couple who went on the cruise. Ooh. The Emerald Princess. Yeah. And so this is just really small, but I was really curious, like what set them off. And apparently they were struggling for a while mm-hmm. and they had a really public fight at one of the dinners and she threatened to divorce him. Whoa. And that's why he snapped and killed her. Maybe he was still planning it too. If they were having a hard time the whole time, dude, that's the, one of the listeners reached out to me and was like, <laughs> No, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> say it. We could check it out. Like, Loki, that's genius. Like, how he planned to kill her on a murder I mean, mystery. Well, we talked is, about yeah. that. <laughs> we said how that was like a level 100 killer move. Yeah. <laughs> but then he got caught, so he got down to yeah, level no, 100. Yeah, no, no. His uh, <laughs> sneak was not level 100. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to tell you, or because we were like wondering what made him snap, but okay, that's, that's what was happening. Hmm. Hmm. Update two. Um, so a while back I told some stories about my friend who works as an orderly in a mental institution down in New Zealand. And I talked about two people specifically. One is the guy who bit his own tongue off and I think was missing the hand. Mm. 
and the other one was about Irana, the old Maori woman. Yep. Yeah. So he just said a little update on both of them. Um, I can't say the name of the first guy, but tongue guy. Apparently, that is the first time he smoked ice (laughs) or crystal meth, I think. And he had a psychotic break, but um, my friend said he was there and he's seen a lot of drug addicts and sometimes there's like an extra element that's not necessarily drugs. And he said he could totally feel it. Anyway, uh, that guy woke up couple days later super in pain missing half a tongue but he remembered nothing yikes and the experience scared him enough to where he never did drugs he hasn't done drugs since and he's like doing fine don't do drugs kids (laughs) reached his rock bottom yeah Hmm. erana she was discharged he talked to everyone who was involved that night and multiple nurses said that when they looked in her eyes they were all black and when she would change personas, the the whole they all described it as like the the feeling in the room changed, right? Um, usually, so she was discharged. She she got to go back home. Remember, she was just asking to go back home the whole time. So she got to go back home, and they only really ever hear if that person passes away, and he hasn't heard anything. So he said, "No news is good news." So hmm. she's doing better, too. Wow. Thanks for following <laughs> up, dude. I know. It was kind of cool. I was like reading those like, wow, this is crazy. Next story is from the same guy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. So He's two for two on these. So he said he was listening to the episode where Sean talked about Pinochet. Oh, yeah. So do you yeah. remember that cult down in South America? Mm-hmm. Um, and can you describe who Pinochet was and stuff? He was the dictator of Chile at the time. And uh, part of this cult is that he would send people who opposed him or political activists or uh, reporters all down to this cult, which also doubled as like a prison camp for them. Like they'd be tortured, killed, stuff like that. Yeah. That's kind of how they let these this German dude stay down there because he was doing that for him. So Pinochet, hardcore dictator who would straight up just murder yeah. and rule with like fear and death. So it's um, 1986 in uh, Pipiwai, New Zealand. So super northern remote village in New Zealand. There's only like 200 people who live there. So they get a knock at the door and it's their grand uncle. And he has this small young foreign looking guy who can't speak any English (laughs) and so it's my friend's dad and his brother and they and their great uncle explains hey you need to take care of this guy for the next couple months and take him in they're like what and uh, it's pretty he said it's pretty common in like Maori culture to like take in strangers like if someone just comes to the village like they can just like integrate into life and like they'll, they'll welcome him in So they were pretty like, it's pretty standard that they were used to that idea. And come to find out, he says, this guy is the son of the main opposition of Pinochet. And down in Chile, Pinochet had killed his father. And when Pinochet killed someone, he didn't just kill that person. He would kill their entire family. And so this kid escaped. 
escaped. Oh, man. That's nuts. And got on a plane and took off. So this kid's name is Jack. And he said before his father died, he handed him a plane ticket and said, survive. That was like his only thing. His dad left, was murdered, didn't know where he was going, got on a plane and landed in Auckland, New Zealand. Walks out of the airport, can't speak any English and just starts walking down the street until the first thing he recognizes is the words Jesus Christ on a sign. It turns out to be um, like a Mormon church. It's a church office down in in, uh, Auckland and he walks in and he's trying to communicate with my friend's great uncle whose name is Wallace. So Jack's trying to speak to Wallace and Wallace is like trying to calm him down. He's pretty like, you know, in a daze because of what's going on. So he calls in a translator and gets the whole story from him. So after Wallace like hears the story, he devises the whole plan. He decides to take him to North Northern New Zealand to live with some of his nephews where Jack lived for like several months. He worked on the farm. He helped with their chores. He ate with them. He like even started to learn Maori and English and they would always clown on him because he was tiny because Chileans are small and Maoris are huge <laughs> and he could barely speak English. So they'd make fun of him all the time and he couldn't eat meat. So he was, <laughs> <laughs> but after living there for like, I don't know, four to five months or something, uh, he comes back down to Auckland and uh, uncle Wallace sets everything up and sends him to Hawaii where he went to university in Hawaii. And like to the, he grew up and just like lived his life. But to this day, they don't know 100% if his story was real or like if he was ever in real danger. But they took in this like refugee. He lived in a remote Maori village way up in northern New Zealand to like lay low from Pinochet. And I don't know. It was just a crazy like crossroads of, of people and stories. That is pretty crazy. Like and the fact that he just ended up randomly there and the only thing he recognized was Jesus Christ on a church building. And it happens to be just like someone who's going to set him up for six months. <laughs> yeah, that could have ended way worse Yeah, for him. Know. But I don't know. That idea is just crazy. The idea of having to run to another country to stay alive. Right, yeah. It's, have you ever thought that like if I needed to escape, where would I go to lay low? Yes. Where would you go? Tell everyone in the world right now. I'm not going to tell everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Uh, Southeast Asia is probably my like. Yeah, for sure. It's like, I'm going to disappear down there. But you kind of stick out as a sore thumb. I don't mine know. You'd was, have to learn how to blend in. Mine was Norway. I'd want to go to Norway, just go in the mountains. It's not. It's the opposite. Whatever Sean tells you, it's the opposite. He's going South America. <laughs> That's where he's. Can you imagine, though, what it would be like for that translator who just gets called to come over to the, the church office to translate the story? And you just hear. He's like, I am the son of a guerrilla leader down in Chile. My family has been murdered and they are coming after me and you have to hide me. <laughs> he's like, or, or the dude could have been like just trying to sell tamales. Yeah. And, and the translator is like, let me throw these people for in for a loop. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I really, uh, muy necesito a baño. He's like, uh, he's the son of a, <laughs> of, of a terrorist group organization. <laughs> Tengo Choro. He's like, and he needs to, he's going to die. <laughs> Choro is uh, slang for diarrhea. Um, <laughs> cool. All right. I have one more short one. 
So this is from my friend Addison back in Visalia. His mom is a nurse of 20 plus years. And so shout out Addison. All right. So this story comes from Addison's mother. Um, she's been a labor and delivery nurse for probably around 20 years. Um, and she would always like tell them horror stories at night. I, do you guys know any nurses? Dude, they have gnarly few, stories. Yeah. I grew up my friend's best mom. Nope. My, one of my good <laughs> friend's mom. <laughs> the best one, not the crappy one. <laughs> anyway, she was a nurse and she would always tell us like hardcore stories. So she told us one time she was standing in like two to three inches of blood. She had to jump on this dude's chest and hold his organs into his body while they tried to resuscitate him. Oh, my gosh. I know. She, I was like, dude. she said for like four hours she had to like hold. That's a special like breed of person. Dude. <laughs> to be able to like handle that on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not that breed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not cut from that cloth. Either. <laughs> anyway, so she, she would tell these stories. They weren't really the stuff of ghost or horror stories. Um, instead, they were of the horror. Instead, they were of childbirth and the many, many things that can go wrong in that process. Um, so she did have one story, however, that isn't easily explained away by biology. Um, nowadays, hospitals will keep newborns in a room with the mother, but this was long. This was a long time ago, back when they would keep all the babies in one room—a nursery, kind of like how you see in movies. So she often worked the night shift, and one night um, she only had a couple babies for the night. Uh, many people may not know this, but newborns, then tell me if you guys knew this, newborns poop will be initially black. Have y'all heard that? Yeah, I knew that, but that's from personal experience. <laughs> <laughs> I heard like the first, yeah, the first couple like bowel movements of a baby are hardcore. Anyway, so the first one or the first couple will be black and it will be very, a very thick tar-like consistency. This is because it contains the amniotic fluid, among other things, accumulated during the entire gestation period. The black poop doesn't last more than a few bowel movements, and these babies were all past their poop phase, their black poop phase. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) He said, my mom confirmed this during her rounds near the beginning of her shift. Her shift was relatively easy, she said. Um, She got to spend... A majority of the time just socializing with the other nurses that she was like tight with because there's not much to do you know it's like babies are sleeping they're all past black poop phase so <laughs> you're good you're in the clear um, at one point during the night one of the baby's heartbeat monitors began to read either too high or too low um, so she went in there to check and the sensor had come off the baby so she reapplied it turn around left Um, Only a few moments later, before she could even get back to her desk, the heartbeat monitor went off again. So she went back to the nursery. It had fallen off, so she reattached it again. And it's like not that common for these things to fall off. So she thought that's kind of weird. She quickly reattached the monitor, and as she's doing that, she feels this insane amount of pressure around her. She said it was like when you dive too deep into water. She was immediately met with a horribly strong smell of feces. She turned around and the back of the door to the nursery had streaks 
of the black feces all over it. Oh. What? So, the only people with access to the nursery are the nurses and the doctors. And they all have specific key cards that allow them in. Mm-hmm. So, she knows none of her coworkers would do this. But regardless, she goes and questions them all. No one fesses. They have no idea how it happened. They clean it up. And they rechecked all the logs and to double check and all the babies on that log were past like the black poop phase. (laughs) She said, nothing like this has ever happened again. And they never did figure out who did it, but it's nagged her for years now. Hmm. That's such a different. And that's the legend of the black poop. (laughs) I've never heard of anything like that before. Yeah. Hmm. I get that baby exercised, bro. Like maybe that's what's, I don't know. It's what stands out. I don't know. When I was reading that, it just creeped me out. Like the, there is no explanation and we're assuming that she's not just flat out lying. Mm -hmm. Like either a demon did it or a freaking perverted ass nurse or doctor playing a sick joke. Like, you know what I mean? There's no other explanation. I don't know. At least that I can think of. And it was only with that baby. She's never experienced that with any other baby. She said nothing like that has ever happened again. And they were all supposed to be past the black poop phase. So how was Where did it come from? Where did it go? Cotton eye job. (laughs) I I knew it, dude. Inevitable. What got got me, though, was she only, like it was in an instant where she smelt the poop on the door. Right, Mm -hmm. so it was like if someone had smeared it on the door when she wasn't there, she would have. I felt like she would have smelt it. Right, but the fact that it came in unison with that feeling of pressure took a moment. Yeah, it was kind of creepy. Yeah, to stink in. (laughs) Oh gosh, damn! Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked about this previously, but I was far too young, and my dad told me that with the presence of demons. You can sometimes detect the smell of sulfur. <laughs> so at like eight years old, my ass is in bed terrified, sm- trying to smell the air and see if there's any sulfur in here. <laughs> Being like, oh, there's demons in my room. <laughs> Bro, so yeah, like, I don't know. The smell connected with like weirdness to me, it like triggered me when I read this story. Yeah. You, you also hear about like strong, like putrid smells like in the forest when... There's like an experience with, I don't know, a skinwalker or a, mm, a yeah. gate or Bigfoot, something like that. I don't know. Oh. No bueno. Who's next? Let's read meat. Rito burrito. Okay, so it was recently my, so I have two kids. Uh, I have a three-year-old, his name is Grayson, and a six-month-old named Theo. And since it was Grayson's birthday two, a couple of days ago. I'm going to share like a couple little stories that are kind of creepy that he has brought to my attention. So <laughs> scary stories involving kids. Yeah. It's like next level to me for sure. Cause they're like the symbol of innocence mm-hmm. and they, I don't know. There's like a lot of reasons, but anyway, it's like it's scarier because they wouldn't lie or they're almost like not capable of lying. And so what they say, especially when it's like a two or a three-year-old, you feel like has to be reality. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. They can't like form like a complicated like 
lie. They're not that smart. Yeah, yeah like yeah. their motives are just, I want that. I need that. So we were living at my parents' house in their basement, and um, we were trying to teach him, you know, just how to just train a little kid how to put him down to sleep, right? Sometimes they're rambunctious and they don't want to go down. But Grayson was doing pretty good at it. But then all of a sudden, in this like two-week period, he he just never really wanted to go down. He kind of struggled to fall asleep. And so we were like really curious about what was happening. Um, but my wife went in there one day. It was in the middle of the day. And he was just like kind of jumping up, standing up on his crib, holding on to the side. And he was just like laughing, you know, and smiling. And so my wife went in there and was like, hey, Grayson, like go to sleep. And he just like points up to the corner of the room, like near the ceiling. He just points. And he's like, look. And he's just pointing at the corner of the room. And then he starts like almost like moving his body with whatever he's seeing. And it like totally creeped out M. It was just interesting though because it wasn't like whatever he was seeing would scared him. It was just like he was interacting with it. But my wife was like, hell no. I'm like, grabbed him, you know, <laughs> brought him to a different room. It just seems like kids just have a different sense of yeah. the paranormal or other, I don't know how you describe that. I just feel like they're more open yeah. to frequencies. I don't know. Whatever you want to call it. I always it. thought about it as like if there are other realms that we come from and go to after life, they're more in tune to that coming from it. And they can actually recognize it and, until things get muddled as they grow through life and start paying attention to the physical things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and at earlier ages, it seems like they haven't learned fear yet. So they don't really comprehend anything besides something's there just like I'm here, you know, and it just exists. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah. And going off of that, I almost feel like that in a sense, like protects them. Yeah. I know in previous episodes we've talked about like, what would your reaction be if some, something happened or if someone walked into your house and those people who didn't freak out or didn't like cause commotion felt like they like live to tell the tale or they survived that situation. Mm-hmm. We've also talked about the idea of like your fear feeding whatever it is. Right. So if a little kid isn't afraid of it, it like doesn't necessarily feed it. I don't know. Yeah. That could be something. Yeah. And then this happened within that same week actually. And um this is this is way creepy to me. Um we were going about we were walking downstairs to the basement to go to sleep and I'm holding Grayson and he said, he says, dad, 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 look. And I'm like, what? And he's like pointing to the kitchen, to our like dining room table. And he's like, look, look. And I'm looking, I'm like, I don't see anything. And he's like, the Grinch. I was like, what? And he's like, the Grinch under table, a Grinch under table. I was like, the Grinch is under the table. And he's like, yeah, look. And I was like, I don't want to look. I didn't see anything, but he seemed to see something. Was he like locked on? He just was like casually saying like, look. look the Grinch. The Grinch. Holy cow. So whatever he saw resembled the Grinch. Dude, I'll never look at the Grinch <laughs> the same, dog. 
know. Like, if you didn't have, like, the childhood context of the Grinch being a fun story, if you saw that in your house. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Hell no. So it's kind of like a joke now between me and my wife. Like, oh, it's probably just the Grinch. A joke that, like, makes you cry a little. Yeah, just a little <laughs> bit. You try to use comedy to, like, buffer, like, <laughs> make you feel a little better. You're like, Jim Carrey or the animated one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So that's uh kind of wraps up stories about Grayson and his experiences. Mm. But I have, I, I wanted to make a kind of transition into um, like home security systems and the interesting things that happen with like with alarms and things like that. And so I just recently moved out to um, South Jordan, a little community called Daybreak. And so in our house, we have a, like a Vivint smart home arena system. Hit us up, Vivint. <laughs> Do you live in the part of Daybreak, or is it all of Daybreak that's like this? My homie just moved there, and or they moved out of there, but I helped him move. All the houses look like Disney. Yeah. <laughs> like up. Uh, up house. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I know like where like the lagoon or lake is. Yeah. It's all colorful, white trim. I think it's kind of creepy. <laughs> it's like too perfect. Yeah, it's um, kind of yeah. weird. I felt like I was on a like on another planet or something. It's like definition suburban America, for sure. Anyway, just like the visual of yeah. that neighborhood. But. Yeah, super colorful houses, white picket fences. Houses are very close together. Really cute, but it's still kind of creepy. Anyway, so my wife and I just moved out there. We got Vivint Smart Home Arena like security system. And this story is actually about her friend who, her, my wife's friend's family who has Vivint Smart Home. And what, it, what that system is like is you can control the security system through an app. And so you can have cameras that are inside your house that detect motion when you're not home. And you can have cameras outside of the house that also detect motion. And so how it's set up is that whenever it, the system is on, and motion is detected, it'll like send your phone a notification and then it'll like take a picture and that'll show up in a thumbnail with whatever's moving. You know, it'll be like a still shot of like a kid running across your yard or like whatever. Anyway, so my wife's friend, I think her name is Kimberly. um, They received a really interesting thumbnail that, is insanely creepy and I'll just go ahead and tell the story behind it real quick. So um, Kimberly's dad hadn't set up, hadn't locked the front door, but the alarm was still on, if that makes sense, because he was waiting for his daughter to come home. And so when Kimberly comes home, um, she hears kind of like a weird noise. And so she grabs a flashlight and walks around the house, doesn't see anything. But as soon as she like goes to go say hi to her dad, as soon as she walks up the stairs, like the alarm system just bla- it goes blaring. And on the phone, it, it says like an you know, intruder, like in- there's an intrusion. And so the dad, you know, tells everyone to go upstairs, and he he goes and checks all the rooms, and he goes out back, and the garage door is like wide open, you know. And Kimberly came in through the front. And so they thought that was really weird. Like Vivint, they have like the upgraded version. So like Vivint was calling them like, hey, is everyone safe or whatever? He had nothing to report. But the thumbnail that they received a little bit later on, because it kind of takes a while to update, was it was 
not the case that everything was okay. So in this thumbnail... Wait. You should show them first, then describe it. Okay. I'll show you guys what it's like. Have you seen it You seen it already? Bro, I've been wanting to tell you guys this story for like three months. (laughs) Okay, so a reminder, this is the thumbnail that was sent to them. I don't know if I'm ready. So this is like... This is what caused motion in your house. Yeah. And then it will show you what caused motion in your house. So this is, they open their phone late at night. And and, see this. And you can like, and then afterwards you can click on it and they'll like show the footage. Yeah. So this is the thumbnail that pops up that everyone is seeing at like 1.50 a.m. Fuck that. Oh. Show Charles. DJ, describe what you're seeing. <laughs> Wait, this this is just they screenshotted this. Yeah. Oh, I have chills all over my body. Wait, Kevin, come look at this. It is truly like the most terrifying thing you could imagine. What? Okay, what do you see? So it looks like there is a woman in a white dress. And I hate saying that because that's yeah. how it is in all stores, a lady in a white dress, you know, but it's what I'm looking at right now. And her body position is weird. One of her arms are like kind of stretched out or starting to raise up and it's like long and skinny. The dress is like down to her knees. I can't tell if she's facing away or her face bothers me. Like is her, that her face? Her head shape. Yeah. Her, her head is tiny. It looks like yeah, like half the size of a normal head. But the the body looks regular. The legs are kind of skinny. The arm is especially like skinny, contorted. Yeah, and it looks like there's some hair on the top. I can't see any features on the face. It's hard. Yeah, it's like blank. If I'm looking at the front of her profile, it's hard because the picture is in black and white because it's pitch dark in the house, right? Yeah. So they saw that. That's from inside their house. Yeah, so this is That's in their house. In their like living room. And they get a text and it's like, this is what caused the alarm to go off. Yeah. But what's interesting is so that was the thumbnail that they got. And so they um, like obviously click on the footage and they see nothing. What? So it brought up the, th- the thumbnail, a picture of this old lady in their house. But in the video, nothing But in the happens. video, there's nothing there. And I was all, ask in the that. video, you can see Kimberly like walking through their house and shining the light. You can see her doing that. And is she wearing a white dress? No. Okay. But also, yeah, this doesn't look like something that could be like in front of the camera, you know, like if it was. If you're curious what this photo looks like, we will put it up on our YouTube and Instagram. So go on YouTube and you can watch it or we'll post it to our Instagram. Sorry. No. Like if the listeners, like you truly have to see this photo to realize how scary this is. This this story isn't that scary until you see the photo. Bro, it's seriously what he showed me, like instant chills. Same, dude. My whole body had chills looking at that photo. Yeah, daybreak. That's so close to here. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't look like uh, uh, something that could be like, I don't know, like a miniature in front of the camera, like nope. someone trying to, yeah. But just yeah, imagine yeah. you're in your bed. So she has siblings. You're in your bed, and at like around 2 a.m., you get a little notification, intrusion. 
And then you see this photo. Oh, dude, no. <laughs> Every time I, hate I that. keep looking at it and it's still so scary. I yeah. hate that you slowly turned it towards me. <laughs> like I didn't see it yet. <laughs> like I knew I was getting. This okay, you're laying in your bed and you get that text. Do you kill yourself? Do you jump out your window? Kimberly's, yeah, Kimberly's sister immediately got up and locked the door. Oh, I mean, that's yeah. smart. In, like door to the bedroom because they were in her the bedroom. bedroom. Yeah, 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 I would do that too. Light the house on fire. <laughs> I would lock my bedroom door. I'd turn on the lights in there and then I'd call someone. Kimberly's dad actually works for Vivid. And so he went into the office and was trying to, they were trying to like gather footage if they could like. Like before and after and stuff. Yeah, or? and they couldn't find Nothing. Even like frame by frame because there had to be yeah. a, have been a one frame with that thing in it. And That's then what you'd think. It's nothing. Nothing. It's just from that thumbnail. Yeah. Damn. Isn't that truly terrifying? That's that really is scary. scary. Did I still have chills? <laughs> I had a hard time telling it because you almost like need the photo for it to have 100%. the whole effect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> so if you're wondering what it looks like and you don't want to go to those outlets to see, just imagine the worst nightmare you can, and that's what the photo <laughs> is. <laughs> It looks like almost like Slenderman in a, yeah. in a sense. Slenderman. Not as tall, but like how lanky and long her arm is. Yeah, yeah. Slenderman in like a pillowcase dress. Yeah, and how small her head is. Just yeah. from the insane asylum. Yeah. Oh, and her hair is like a... It's like a bowl cut, but long in the back. It looks like a Party like a in the front. Hey. <laughs> yeah. It looks like what? A party in the like a business in the front, party in the back. Yeah. Yikes. So, get vivant. Smart home arena security systems. Protect yourself from them demons. Yeah, if this podcast is making you feel scared, not to worry because <laughs> Vivint or Safe Home or what? Uh, smart, smart Home. Smart Home has got you covered. Sponsor <laughs> us. Yeah, Early in the morning. That's wild. Yeah. The other night, I sometimes I almost hate looking at the time when I wake up in the middle of the night. Because <laughs> if it's anywhere in three o'clock, I like instantly feel a li- like just a little bit more like on edge. And before <laughs> I used to not be able to go to sleep, like I would wait till that hour is done and it hits four o'clock at night. Like, oh, I made it. Like I'm good. Now I like lay there for a little bit. It takes me a little bit to get back to bed. But the other night I like shook. This was about three nights ago. I shook like suddenly and was like fully awake. And I just had the strongest urge to look at my phone. And this is me psyching myself out. <laughs> but I looked at the phone and it was exactly 3.33. And <laughs> I fell asleep on the couch in our living room. And it's pretty open. And it was like pitch black dark. And I like army crawled to it's like a big sectional I like army crawled to like the little like corner section so I could like be up against something just like put my blanket over me it's like That's, nothing's gonna happen <laughs> are you guys the type of people to when you hear a noise at night like you're like I'm gonna go check it out or do you stay in your bed it, I usually wait and if I could hear yeah anything else I sleep with a buck knife right near me so if I hear something else I'm I'm pulling up on yeah. someone. The first noise, I will just stay. If uh-huh. it continues, then I'll get up. Yeah, I try to assess where the sound is 
But yeah, I try to like get to like a corner or something and try to like be still and like watch That's my the move. whole room. That's yeah. my move. Get to a yeah. corner, figure out what the hell's happening. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? I wait. I don't I don't trust myself. Like if I wake up and I survey the room, I see weird things. Bro, me too. Weird things. Yeah. Like just last night, I literally scooted to the front of my bed and I thought Grayson was like coming through the door and I was just like, come here, bud. (gasps) And then like you just stare at the door, right? And you swear it's opening and you swear someone's walking, like something's coming towards you. And then like all of a sudden nothing's happening and the door is just like. I legit do that like often. Nope. So I, if something bad were to happen, I would just sit there and stare for a while. To have to confirm if it's real. Just got to process it first. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that was a hitter, dude. Yeah, mm. I've been so I, I've known about that since like October. Yeah, it's been since it's been a while. I wanted to tell you guys so bad because I was like, "No, Reed's got to come tell it." Yeah, dude, thank you. Yeah, You're that welcome. was a good one. I think you have one more, right? I have one more. It's kind of on a different note. It's a Thailand story. All good. Go ahead. Um, but it kind of relates in terms of like just laying in bed and hearing something. Mm-hmm. So I'm in. Northern Thailand in Chiang Rai. Oof. So Chiang Rai is a p- province in Thailand that borders Burma and Laos. So it's part of that golden triangle. And uh, I'm in a new area, new house. I'm laying in bed. It's really quiet. Everyone's asleep. And I he- literally hear like screaming noises. Like a combination of screaming and screeches. Not not human, but I can hear them subtly, like like the wind is carrying them. And I don't know what to do. It's kind of weird. My um my roommate, like I hit his leg. I'm like, hey, do you hear that? And he's like, No. We're both new to the area. And it turns out, so I just went back to bed. Didn't know what else to do. But it turns out that like around the corner probably half a mile down the road is like a butcher house. Mm. And they just like butcher pigs all night. That's messed (laughs) up. And so I remember being like biking by the butcher house at like 8.50 and we weren't going to stop. But then they just like start letting these pigs out, you know? And then all of a sudden it's just like... Like a dragon, just like screaming. And then I look back and my roommate just like does the classic like slide stop. And he's like, <laughs> we have to go. And I was like, why? He's like, they sound like dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and so we like hop off and we're like these weird like white people. Like like it's it's nighttime and we're just like, we just like walk literally into the butcher house and they're just like throwing water on these pigs and like electrocuting them and then cutting them in half. And hanging them on the ceiling. There's literally blood everywhere. Oh my God. And they probably thought, like, wow, these weird white people are just like taking pictures and like thinking this is cool. But like, it was just interesting. Like, I'd never been in that environment before. But that was the source of those blood curdling screams. (laughs) I've heard that before too. We, uh, when I was maybe 14, we were having a luau and we were doing a, Kalua pig, which is where you cook the pig underground 
just like a like very traditional way of cooking in Hawaii. Is the word Kalua for that? Like, what's the word for cooking in the earth? Uh, that's the that oven, the underground oven. Uh, it's called the imu. I think Samoa would say umu. Umu. Yeah, yeah. And theirs is above ground. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Uh, imu or the type of like the meat is Kalua pig. Yeah. Or Kalua pork and. Oh, we like killed and cleaned the pig and everything. But when they killed it, dude, like they they hang it from like the hook, like by its legs and its head is like near the ground. And I'm sorry, it's really graphic, but like so vegans and vegetarians fast forward. (laughs) (laughs) But they just get like this long knife. It was about a foot long and they just slip it quick right in its throat and then poke the heart and then out. And then it's just like. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's bleeding out, and then after like I don't know, 30, 45 seconds, it's it's dead. Bro, I'm shook right now. It's crazy. And the cleaning, it's kind of crazy. That's a different story. You like torch it, torch the hair off. It smells terrible, and then you shave the pig to get rid of all the hair. Yeah, yeah. And then you cut it up and section it, and like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, I literally remember like walking into the butcher house because there's no doors. It's just open, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my, my roommate's got his camera out and we're like walking and we're like walking in blood, right? Oh, just like being very careful. And I remember he like puts his arms up to take a picture and he like, it like slips and then he like catches the camera. But as he does so, like he like slips, you know? And so he's like, and like almost just like fell back into all this blood. And it was just like really funny. (laughs) Nightman, you guys are wearing white shirts and ties. Yeah. <laughs> Good. He was like trying to take a picture while like on the phone with one of our like leaders. So he's like, "Yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're good, we're good, we're good." <laughs> As there's like screams in the background. <laughs> it was funny. So that's my my butcher story. Jeez. They thought we were so strange. <laughs> I bet. Sean worked on a pig farm. Yeah. We're at uh, down in Arizona. That was yeah. We would hear those screams too. It was always, it was always wild, and it was creepy too to me. Like they had these huge pens of hundreds of pigs, and if one of them like got hurt, it would just get trampled by the rest and eaten. And like when I'm cleaning out their pens, I would just find hooves. It was always just the wildest thing to me, bro. Like a super common thing for like pig farmers is like if you fall in the pig pen you're dead they'll eat you yeah no they were savages dude that's crazy also pigs are like smarter than dogs which is weird yeah pigs are scary yeah no i don't like them my wife wants to get a pig as a pet like one of those teacup pigs i don't know how i feel (laughs) should train it to uh hunt truffle Ooh, truffle pigs yeah dude make some get your return money off that (laughs) like a few years ago there was a pig its owner was like this old lady and it was just them two that lived alone (laughs) and she lived like on a farm like a pretty big farm i think her husband had passed away um but she was having a heart attack and the pig went out to the highway i heard about this yeah and like signaled someone and led them back to the house and the person found the lady she was still alive but called the ambulance like the pig went and got help for her She's like, that'll do, pig. <laughs> that'll do. <laughs> oh, gosh. Thank you. Thank you. You Reed. good? For sure, for sure. Okay. 
I have a couple stories for you. One, my first one, happened to me today. <laughs> and I've been waiting to tell you the whole day. Oh. <laughs> I'm glad we made it. <laughs> this morning at approximately 8.15 a.m., I had another man's blood on my hands. This start is already crazy. I was like, so I opened my grinder. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, was on my way to work this morning, and I'm on the last turn before I get to where I work. And as I pull up to the light, there's a couple of cars that are just stopped in the middle of the road. And as I go around the corner, I see that there's a man just lying there in the middle of the road. So I pull over to where I work, put the car in park, turn it off, run over to where this guy's just laying in the road. And as I start to get over, there's like two people there now. As I get there, he's starting to like slowly sit up. But he's like got this massive gash on the back of his head. So I get there, and one person's just standing around, like, calling 911. And the girl who hit this guy with her car is just hysterical, crying. So I, like, get get up to him, and he, like, he's, like, out of it a little bit. Like, see the gash on the back of his head? He's got to get his head up a little bit, so, like, lessen the bleeding a little bit. And we just like sit there for a second. I'm like holding him up like, here, you're going to be good. Just like stay with us. And like traffic stop. Police don't show up until like six, seven minutes later. And I'm just like holding them. Finally, they show up. They get the ambulance. And they like, I let him down. Just like hold his stuff and like wait with him there until they take him away. And dude, it was crazy like something i'd never been through before but at that point i realized like my fighter flight was more fight than flight Dope. <laughs> and i didn't realize this until after i went to the gym today so i'm going to show you because i have this garmin watch it'll tell me like my heart rate during oh. the day so this is a this is a typical day for me oh hit us up garmin anyway this is a typical day with the high stress. <laughs> and what is that? What's the numbers for the people listening? So forty-seven is like a an average stress level. Like you're, you're usually like forty-seven. Yeah. Well, forty-seven, forty-six, okay, thirty. Today, it spikes at eight fifteen and just blew the rest of the day. Just no up and down in heart rate or anything like that. And I was like, whoa, this is trippy. So wait, like you s- hardcore sparked your stress, but spiked, then like everything after that, and then was, everything after that was just normal again. No, well, no, not normal, way, low. way oh, lower way than low. normal. Huh? So what, was, what was the number there? Fifteen. Oh, okay. So like, I was looking at this, and I was like, "This is weird," because I'd never have this low either, and it only spiked for this one to two minutes, probably when I got there before I like started like helping them. So it was it was crazy. And like it was right outside where I work, so people are like looking down outside the window at me and stuff like that. And people started coming up and asking afterwards. It was, this is the craziest thing. Like she basically was that at the traffic light with like 
At the end of freedom. At the end of freedom. That's like a T traffic light. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he was crossing the road. The girl that hit him was turning left right as the light turned green, but her windows weren't defrosted and she didn't see him. Bro, we just talked about this. Sean and I went up to sled this weekend and we saw someone driving down from the mountain who had six by six inches of his windshield yeah. uncovered. And we were like, you can't see anything. So if you live somewhere snowy, don't be a dick. Get the Something snow like car. this is going to happen to you. And she was... Not to blame her, I'm sorry. But. No, and I felt so bad. She was hysterically crying and like didn't know what to do. She's freaking out. And she's some 20-year-old college kid probably. So like I feel horrible for her. She had no idea what to do. I felt even worse for the guy because he was a he's a bigger guy. Uh, obviously in a lot of pain because I just stood there as like the paramedics started helping him out and I was like when they'd move him like something was wrong with his shoulder so he'd scream and I'd be like oh gosh this is nuts oh dang good so, morning Sean tra- traumatic start to my day <laughs> uh, I answered several emails um, and then I <laughs> opened up my projects folder that's crazy though that your your reaction though is like act that's cool it was yeah no i had always because you always wonder like what you would do in a situation like that and i didn't even think about it either it just happened what was your reaction yeah dude are you okay i'm okay i was for like the first hour or so afterwards i was just like this is weird like surreal a little surreal yeah huh dang bro well i'm glad you were there to i mean provide support at at the very least. Yeah, they got they got him the help he needed, took him to the hospital and stuff like that, but it was, yeah. That's intense. Drive carefully, y'all. Yeah, for real. Pedestrians have the right of way. Yeah. <coughs> so, like I said, I had another story as well. <laughs> this is the story I'd actually prepared for tonight until this happened. Um, this comes out of Texas. <laughs> I looked at Kevin because he's from Texas. Um, it comes from a college student who said this happened to another one of their classmates in Texas. They said that their classmate lived about 20 miles away from this main town where the college was. And then they're in between this main town and then another smaller town. And they called it Wim- Wimberley, Texas, or something like that. So I don't know if that rings a bell. So they're about 20, 25 minutes away from the main t- city or town, college station probably, and 10 minutes away from Wimberley. So he said one night around 10 p.m., like a couple of these guys that live all in this house, they hear a knock on the door, and it's like a frantic knock. So one of them goes and checks the little people on the door and sees this girl outside who looks just dirty and disheveled. And she's like frantically knocking at the door. One of them had a gun. So he just like runs to the door, runs to his room, grabs the gun, just like hides it because they don't want anything bad to happen to them. They open the door, let her in. And she's like, she just kind of starts talking to him like, I just ran away from a cult over in this town. 
and they're after me. The cops are in on it. I can't do anything. I need help. Get me to the bus station. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, we don't believe you, but like we need some background. So she pulls out these old like Polaroid photos of like she said this cult had systematically been abusing children and was like showing them pictures of these children. And so they didn't know whether to believe her or not, but she said she needed to get to the bus station. She was trying to get in contact with a lawyer. So they took her to the bus station. It was over in this main town. So they didn't take her back to the, the Wimberley or the town of Wimberley. And then when they get back, well, they take her to the bus station, help her get a ticket and then leave her. Then they go back to their house and they're still kind of sketched out at this point. So they decide to call the cops at this point. Bro. So they call the cops. A few minutes later, a couple of squad cars show up at their house. And they like start interviewing them, like asking who she was, what she told them, where she was going, all of this. And like they kind of expected this a little bit. So they answer their questions, but they didn't tell them that they took her to the bus station. So like as soon as they finish answering all the questions, the squad cars leave, but then two squad cars come back. And these cops start asking them the same questions more aggressively. Like, where did you take her? What did she say? Did she say anything about where she was coming from? Questions like that. And they, at this point, don't answer them. They're like, no, she didn't say anything. We just took her into town, dropped her off at the grocery store. So they're trying to protect her at this point. So that's all they told these cops. Now, it turns out there was a cult that was located in Wimberley, Texas. As far as I could tell. I don't know if you're looking that up, but. Uh, I just looked up where it is. It's near Austin. Near Austin, Texas. Not College Station. But they never heard from those cops again and never heard from this girl again, even though one of them had given the girl his number just to let them know if, or let, yeah, let her, her let them know if she was okay. They never heard from her again either. But they did end up finding out that there was this cult over in this small town of Wimberley. So. Was that it? That was it. Organized crime is so scary because, like, if you're on the inside trying to get out, like, it's hard to know who to trust, where to go, what to do, because who, like, who's in on it? It's yeah, especially like her dropping, like, yeah, the cops are in on it. I don't know where to go, what to do, and then, like, what got me was like when the second cops came back, and I was like, oh, these guys are in on it for sure. Just being super aggressive with the questions that they had just been asked. Sorry, I was looking up literally today. My sister sent me an article on a cult that was near Visalia, where I grew up. And I haven't read the article yet, but it's just crazy. Like here, it's like super similar to your story. That's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Oh, that's not chill. No. When you can't trust police, it's like, oh, that's not a fun scenario. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, oh, man. That's such a hard situation. What would we do? Let's say right now, 
disheveled girl knocks on the door, tells us that story. It's so hard. With the pictures? Sure. I'd probably be inclined to take her to a bus station. But that immediately puts you in. At risk, Are we yeah. culp- culpable? Is that the right word? Um, like, are we uh, are we accessories? Are we now part of it? You know, I don't think you're part of it just because you don't have the intent. If this person was and committing if, crime, you don't have that intent. Also, if like the cult is trying to come after you, you just I don't know anything. So I think you'd be fine doing that at least. What sketches me out in the situation? And if someone like that were to show up at at the house, is you really don't know mm. what's going on at all. And it's you know how you have moments in your life when you you trust someone and you trust their story, and then you just hear that it was all a lie, and you just can't believe it. Mm. I hate that feeling so much. And I'm generally a person who is too idealistic and so when it happens to me I'm like shattered and I don't know you could be helping a murderer and you don't know that true I I think I'm a trusting person yeah like until someone gives me a blatant reason to not trust them I will take them at face value Mm -hmm. yeah I feel like I usually give people I try to give people the benefit of the doubt in those kind of dire situations but That's a hard one, bro. Case by case. It is a hard one, yeah. Because imagine this scenario, and we've talked about this before. You're driving down a a completely black, non-lit road in the country, and looming out of the shadows is this white figure waving around and screaming. It's like, do you stop? No, probably not. That's like the girl who... But it's the girl who got her limbs chopped off, and she's a victim of assault and attempted murder. And the first couple didn't stop. But also, it could be like that scenario <sighs> out in the cornfields where there's a whole crew the of people fields. just waiting to come out. Okay, so what do you do? We have no idea. Yeah. Don't come to us for answers. It's tough. It's so tough. There's, yeah, there's, <laughs> don't, don't listen to us. Listen to us. <laughs> All I can tell you is trust your gut. Then watch your Go brain. with that. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I was thinking about that today, though. It's like, I'm going to start, I'm going to try and live like the next several months of my life, just trusting my gut. And then I'll come back in, report on how it all went. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll let you guys know. Man. Crazy day, Sean. It's, yeah, it was, it was wild. Great story, too. Are you good? I'm chilling. Okay. Cool. Cool. You good? Yep. Okay. I'm excited to tell this story. I haven't told it in a while. I do have to shout out one of my best friends, Alex, um, who was one of the main people in this story. And he told this to me as well as the main victim. And the main victim in this story or character in this story is uh, we'll call him Ricky. So, Ricky is a Filipino, and this is when I was living in the Philippines. Uh, This happened in the summer of, early summer of 2012. And 
Ricky was in a McDonald's and he's standing behind this tall, old white man who's in line there waiting to get some food. And he taps on this man and the man turns around and this man is a, a missionary for the Mormon church. If you didn't know, we do have, we call them senior couples. Usually married couples will go out and serve a mission as well. Maybe not do as intense things as like the younger missionaries. Um, but we loved like the, the senior couples. They would like feed us all the time. They were like our grandparents out on the mission. Um, which some of you can maybe relate. Anyway, he was one of the, the senior couples. He was just grabbing some food. Ricky taps him on the shoulder and this man turns around and Ricky says, excuse me, um, are you a missionary? Because I guess at some point he saw the black name tag on his white shirt. And uh, this missionary says, the old man says, yeah, I am. Um, did you have any questions? Or, And Ricky said, Actually, I, I just kind of want to learn more about your church. And the man says, I know just the people. <laughs> <laughs> so he hits up some of the, the younger missionaries um, who teach the lessons and know the language. And if you're a Mormon and you served a mission, you know that that never happens. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> everyone else is <laughs> shutting like, you down, slamming doors Understandably, in your face. it's like, it's a very hard subject to broach, and yeah. especially to like be vulnerable enough to like enter into a, uh, a conversation about religion and stuff mm-hmm. like that is like not the most common thing in this day and age. I, I think as you're listening to DJ's story, keep in mind like whether you believe in religion or not, think of like the context of like the way missionaries view the world. Like they really believe in good and evil and in like wanting to share good. Right. Mm -hmm. So even, and I don't know, I feel like that's kind of important to this. Yeah. Even if you don't believe in God, that's Mm -hmm. fine. But there are people out there who, who do, and that's how they're seeing the world through that lens. Mm -hmm. And like to them, it's a hundred percent real. Yeah. And the way I tell this story obviously this is going to be told through like a Mormon paradigm because at the time, I mean, I I was on my mission as a missionary, you know, um, knocking on these doors and my entire upbringing was pretty much Mormon. You know, my, my family, uh, they're Mormon. And yeah, so the, the beliefs and the motives behind this story are going to be explained through that paradigm. Whether you believe it or not, this is just the information what happened on, on our side. So anyway, so he taps on the shoulder. He says, I, I want to learn more about this church. Uh, the senior missionary says, yeah, I know just the people. Hooks him up with uh, the companionship of elders in that area. Um, one of them was one of my best friends, Alex. And they get his number and they're like, hey, we heard that you wanted to, you had some questions or you just want to learn about the church. We're happy to meet with you. And they set a time date. They meet. And uh, Ricky's on time. He meets him at the church. And that doesn't happen a lot, especially <laughs> in the Philippines. But um, this happens like three times a week for about a month straight. It's like clockwork. And every time they meet with Ricky, he's super intrigued, has a bunch of questions. Uh, he's always on time. 
towards the beginning, they ask Ricky, they're like, well, if you, you know, come to find out for yourself if, you know, our beliefs are something that you believe in, if you think that, you know, this is true for you, would you be open to, you know, being baptized and becoming a member of the church? And Ricky says, yes, if I find out for myself that this is true and this is something that I believe in, I don't see why I wouldn't, you know, continue on and become a member and get baptized whatnot. While they're teaching these lessons, they asked him, or they, they get to know him and his background and where he came from. Um, and he says, I belong to, and I'll keep this, the, this organization out, like the church name out. He said, I belong to this other church, big, big church. And you could say the biggest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I was pretty high up in that church. I was at their headquarters for a long time. I was one of the main clergymen in the church um, for a certain part, like sector of that church for a while. And I, I lived and stayed at those headquarters and it was my life. And these are big headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> with, <laughs> with a lot of really old documents. Yeah. And he says, at one point, I was in these archives, which are top secret, and I wasn't supposed to be there. And I came across a few things and pieces of information. And when I read them and I studied them, I quickly came to the conclusion for myself that this isn't where I'm supposed to be anymore. That this shouldn't be my life and that this isn't true for me anymore. So I left. And this is him, this is Ricky telling the missionaries during the lessons. And he says, once you become like a clergyman for this church or a clergy for this church, you almost become this church's property and they own you. So I couldn't just ask to leave or resign. I had to run away. And I came back here to the Philippines, my home. And a couple days after being home, I was at McDonald's (laughs) where I saw the older missionary tapped on my shoulder and here we are and I I just want to because I found out for myself that those things aren't true I knew there was truth out there so that's what I'm doing here with you guys because I've heard about your church I just want to learn about it and see if you do have that truth so that was his background and they continue to teach him and things seem to go well because he's saying yes I'll be baptized if I find out, you know, this is true for me and they keep teaching him. And then, so like, cool. Everything's like going pretty well from a missionary perspective. Then about a month into these lessons that they're teaching, they have another one set up with him. They're waiting at the church. He's always on time. This time he's not. And they're like, that's fine. You know, we'll give him a little bit of time. They're waiting at the church. 15 minutes go by. Nothing. 
They text him. Wait. No response. They wait almost 45 minutes, and then they decide to just go back to uh, their, the rest of their day. And they text him and say, hey, sorry, we waited as long as we, can, we, we could, but we had to get back to other things. Still no reply. Two days later, they receive a text from Ricky. And they're really concerned because they have a pretty good relationship. They've become friends with this, with this guy. And, um, yeah, they're just kind of concerned because they haven't heard anything from him. He's completely MIA. Mm-hmm, completely MIA. Two days later, they receive a text from a different number saying, elders and Mormon missionaries, if you're a male, um, that's the title. You go by elder and then your last name. So he says, elders, I'm so sorry. I believe that this is the truth, at least for me. But a few days ago, I was kidnapped by this church's police and they've taken me to this tiny island and they're keeping me in a prison cell. I was able to steal somebody's phone while I was out of the cell at some point and that's how I'm contacting you now. I'm sorry, I, I'm not around. Please pray for me. And that was it. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know if they should call the police or they should text back because it wasn't his phone or something. The only thing they really did was pray. After this happened, Alex, one of the missionaries who was teaching him, um, told a few people. um, I was included in that. And, and we prayed for him. And that was it for that day. No other texts. We didn't know what else to do. You know, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. Um, another two days go by. And Ricky walks into the office, the mission office where these two elders are at. They're working in the office. And they freak out because all they knew was that text. So they, they sit him down, and he's kind of shaken up, um, kind of stumbling over his words. It seems really emotional. Um, and they ask him, what happened? So as he's struggling to like find the words to say, he... He goes through the story, and this is it. So he says, the church's police kidnapped me, took me to the island, kept me in the monastery. And that's what I told you when I texted you from that phone that I stole. And they said, yes. And how are you here now? And he said, while I was in that cell, let me describe first how it was all set up. It was like a single like room, like cell block within like a room. And it was like in the middle of that room. 
and around were desks where monks would study. So he was inside this cell room that was inside a bigger room. And then outside that door was the outside. And every day the monks would at certain times would go out and leave and he wasn't sure what they did, but they would walk out and be gone for a, a little while before they come, came back in and studied or did whatever. And at one point he felt a really strong like impression almost to pray. And he remembers the time for some reason that he prayed. And when he said that time, my friend Alex, who was hearing the story, again, one of the missionaries who taught him, said that that was the exact same time that I told a bunch of other missionaries that we should pray for, for you, you know? So at the same time, we're all praying for you, thinking of you, just trying to, you know, ask God for help and comfort, you know? So all of that lined up together. While Ricky is praying, he, he felt that impression when the monks were out one of those times and it was quiet. He had that time to himself. And while he's praying, he's on his knees. He hears click and his cell door made that sound. And he opens his eyes while he's praying, he's, he's puzzled, but he feels, he hears almost a voice in his ear say, open the door. So he walks to it and he pushes it and the cell door opens. And he doesn't know what to make of it, um, but he, he decides to run with it and he goes to the other door which he knows that they also lock. And as, as he's approaching it, he hears another click. And he hears a voice in his ear again, open this door as well. And he pushes it and it opens. And he peeks out and he doesn't really see anybody and he books it. He makes it to the beach and it's lined with boats. And there's a few people there. Didn't look like the monks. They weren't wearing the same uniforms or whatever. Um, just looked like regular fishermen. And he runs to them. And before he... Oh, no, no. He runs to them and he, he says, I need to get off of this island. Take me to like the nearest city. And without hesitation, both the fishermen look at each other, look at Ricky, and they say, sure, we'll take you where you need to go. So <laughs> they take him to, it's, it doesn't look like another island. It looks like a, like a bigger piece of land. And this island where the monastery was on was pretty tiny from what he could see as they're driving away on the boat. Um, it takes a few hours to get to... I would assume is Luzon, which is like the main island in the Philippines where Manila is. 
And as they pull up on the beach, there's more city, more cars. Um, he gets out of the boat and he starts, he, he thanks the fishermen and they say, yeah, no problem. And they head right back. As he's walking towards like the street, a woman in a suit walks straight up to him and says, tell me who you are and what you need. And he doesn't know what else to do besides explain his whole situation, what's happened. And by the end of the story, he says, I just need to get back home. So she hands him a wad of cash and she says, get on a plane and get back home. And then she leaves. So he makes it back to the, he makes it to the airport he flies to Cebu city, which is where my mission was. And from the airport catches a cab to the office and walks in and is explaining the story to this dude. And from there, they put him in like witness protection. They take all of the things from his, from his previous apartment and take, put him in a, in a new apartment um, close to other members of the church so they can, so he, he feels somewhat secure. Um, there was a member from the area who lived in the old apartment that he was at. And they did mention that after they came and took all of his stuff, that there were men that came to his apartment, knocking, pounding on the door, no answer. Cause he wasn't there. Um, that's all we have on like the, that church's police, but they came back trying to, to look for him. But I, I met this man. And uh, I met him at his baptism about a month and a half after this all happened. And I mean, like all, like most Filipinos, he's pretty small. Um, he's really soft-spoken. And from just this man's like, I don't know what you call it or if you believe in it, but like his energy or just like his personality um, type of person he was, he, he just seemed like very earnest. Um, and I could like just listening to his voice to me at the time sounded honest and sincere and genuine. And I wanted to believe him. Uh, so if at, at his baptism, he, he stood at the front talking about how he believes that this is where he's supposed to be and shares his experience a bit. And uh, that's the information that I have from that story. It's, I don't know, I'm not trying to convince anybody of what happened, but at the time, you know, I, I, I fully believed in everything that happened. <laughs> I think I still do. Um, and maybe that's me giving people the benefit of the doubt, like I said earlier. Um, but... I think after that, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to share share from that, that story. I think I just, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> that That's the story of, of Ricky and his conversion to 
to the church and his escape from the previous one. Um, I don't know. I believed that to be a miracle, all of those events. And it sounds way too good to be true. Maybe it is, but yeah, this is the, this is the first time I've heard this, that story. And it's, that's like the craziest, most interesting story I think I've heard in a long time, a long time. That's nuts. I don't know if you have any detail, but did he say anything or expound on like the things that he saw at the church headquarters, like the documents he wasn't supposed to? Yeah. That, that interests me so much. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. No, he, he didn't share what it was that he read, at least with, with us. And this like baptism event, this story was like famous on the mission. Oh, yeah. It caught fire like everybody heard about it after a couple of weeks, um, which seems kind of slow on American standards. But <laughs> <laughs> in the Philippines, we had like as missionaries, we had limited texts per week. And like so took a little while, <laughs> took some carrier pigeons. And <laughs> anyway, um, so at his like baptism, there was a lot of people. So I don't know. I didn't want to like just. Uh, almost like a celebrity, <laughs> almost like I didn't want to just like invade his space and ask him all these questions. Um, I don't know. I'll ask my homie Alex. Though. Do it. Alex is somebody who is so trustworthy. I, I, I think so highly of him. So to hear him like tell this story as well from his perspective, he's, he's just a, a man of like, he's very sound, like, has a good conscience and yeah I, I trust his work so yeah, I'm blown away I don't even know what to say right now <laughs> I, I, did, I don't know what to say either I don't know sorry if it was kind of spotty the way I told it it's been a while since I revisit or visited the story but yeah if you look at it from like that Mormon perspective and paradigm like for us like it was hot, like the easiest dots were to connect were, you know, this was a miracle. So. I like to believe there's miracles out there. Yeah. If you, I don't know. It's, I, I think it's like, if you believe it one way, you got to believe it the other. Like yeah. if you take like the evil spirits or ghosts or whatever, then why not believe in like good things and angels as yeah. well? Uh, one time we watched a scary movie with our friend who hates scary movies. <laughs> and she was like, seriously, is this scary? And Kevin was like, no, 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 no. It ends, it ends well. It ends on a, happy, a happy note. Ending. <laughs> and the whole, sen- the whole sentiment of the movie is, if the devil's real, then that's good news because that means God's real, God, God's real too. <laughs> And the movie ended and she just looked at Kevin with like fury in her eyes. And she's like, <laughs> that is a happy ending. <laughs> but it's kind of, it's kind of like what you're saying. It's like, yeah. Yeah. I feel you. Cool. Dude, I feel good about tonight. Yeah. There was a lot of good stories. I feel like not mine. Anyway, thank you no. guys. <laughs> Stop it, dude. <laughs> Uh, I submit these stories for the approval of the 3 a.m. Society. Mm-hmm. No. Uh, Reed, thanks for coming again, dude. Yeah. 
You got some good stories. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah. Anything else? Anything you want to tell the people? No. Before we sign off? Uh, bye, love you, be safe. <laughs> <laughs> Trust your gut and watch your back. Be careful out there. Peace. Yeah. Say bye in uh, Thai. So what, decap? Ah. 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 You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia... Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal.